Lord, as we open your word this morning and learn more about you ultimately and learn more about the problems facing your remnant church, I pray for your spirit to be here with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please open to the, uh, to, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 16, as we look at the three unclean spirits of Revelation. Revelation chapter 16 should be on the screen for those of you who, who, who don't have your Bible. And it says this, Revelation 16 verse 13, and I saw three, what? Unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the, of the false prophet. Yes, that's what it says. So basically, we're told in the last days that there are how many unclean spirits? Three. And, and these three unclean spirits come out of three places. Yes. Out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast power, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now notice these unclean spirits are not the dragon, the beast, and the, and the false prophet. They are coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So these are the teachings, you could say, of the dragon, the teachings of the beast power, and the teachings of the false prophet. So let me ask you, who is the dragon, who is the beast, and who is the false prophet in order to identify what these three unclean spirits are? Well, the dra oh, for every truth that God has, Satan has a what? A counterfeit. For the Sabbath day, he has started the Sunday worship movement years ago, which will ultimately be the great test of loyalty in the last days. For the true gift of tongues, there's gibberish. Is my clicker working here? For, uh, for the true rite of baptism, he has instituted sprinkling and many other scenarios. For the true uh, Lord's Supper, the Holy Eucharist, and transubstantiation through the, through the Roman Catholic Church. And Satan has always had a counterfeit. For God, the Holy Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, he has in instituted the dragon to replace the Father, the beast to replace the Son, and the false prophet to replace the Holy Spirit. The false trinity in Revelation. For every truth that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. For the trinity, he has the false trinity, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, let's continue here. Notice what Sister White says. She says, through his subtlety, he gives to his soul-destroying errors the what? Appearance of truth. Herein is their power to deceive. It is because they are a counterfeit of the truth that spiritualism, theosophy, and the like deceptions gain such power over the minds of men. Herein is the masterly working of Satan. He pretends to be the savior of man, false Jesus, the benefactor of the human race, and thus he more readily lures his victims to destruction. Come this afternoon at uh, 3.30, and I'll be going over what Ella White meant there by the word theosophy, because that word theosophy has a direct relevance to this emerging church movement in, in the year 2016. She also says, the exercise of force is what? Contrary to the principles of God's government, he desires only the service of love. Love cannot be commanded. It, it cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is, I'm sorry, it says only be love. Only by love, typo there, is love awakened. To know God is to love him. Jesus on earth only exercise the forces of love, never force during his ministry. 
He healed people. He showed the people who the Father really is because that was the primary mission of his ministry here on earth. In fact, let me ask you, what was the primary reason why Christ came here to earth? Amen. Show us the Father. You know, I speak in many different conferences, and I hear over and over, oh, Christ came just to die for our sins. And yes, that's true. But the primary reason why Christ came was to show us the Father. Let's turn it in our Bibles to John chapter 17. John 17, looking at verses 3. John 17, verse 3, and it says this, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, mind you, this text here is Jesus speaking before the cross of Calvary, isn't it? John 17, before the cross. And yet Jesus says here, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do before the cross. So what was the work that he came to do? To show us who the Father really is in the great realm of the great controversy. Who the Father really is. Elamite says, Christ, method alone, will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Amen? Christ, method alone, will give true success. This is how we reach the world. This is how we reach our young people. This is how we reach every part of our church, by using Christ, method alone. Christ has always used a method of love, and ultimately it led to the cross of Calvary, whereas Satan does not use the method of love. Indeed, he uses force and authority, dictation, authoritative discourse to win his people. Look at the papacy. During the 1,260-year time prophecy called the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, he used force and authority to kill over 100 million people those who would not accept the dictates of the Catholic Church. And today, the world still loves them. Once again, let's read this quote very closely because this quote is the key to understanding this emerging church movement. Through his subtlety, he gives to his soul-destroying errors the appearance of truth. What that means is the emerging church movement, there will be aspects of it that seem to be true. You might hear people who promote this agenda, all we want to do is lift up Jesus. What's wrong with that? There are elements of this movement that seems to appear as truth. But the problem is Satan mixes what? Truth with? And you know, most times what he does is he takes a whole bunch of truth with a little error and calls it truth. And that's the worst. The worst. And then she says, Herein is their power to deceive. It is because they are a counterfeit of the truth that spiritualism, theosophy, and the like deceptions gain such power over the what? The mind. So she's saying, in the last days, guys, spiritualism and theosophy will gain the minds of men. The three unclean spirits, the last deception to the world, has to deal with the mind of men taking over their mind, okay? Herein is the masterly working of Satan. He pretends to be the savior of man, a false Jesus. Let's just lift up Jesus. What's the false Jesus? The benefactor of the human race, and thus he more readily lures his victims to destruction. Now, guys, today I'm going to show you some different aspects in the Adventist church. 
I might get fired for this when I get home, but I don't know. Um, but I will show you different aspects in the Adventist church that kind of promotes this agenda. And you know what? I'm not here to criticize them or judge them, but I'm here to educate you guys so that you, so that you can discern between right and wrong, good and evil, and help your families and children and grandkids. Amen? <clears throat> Once again, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Who are they? Well, the dragon, yes, according to Revelation 12, is who? Now, in, in Revelation 16, the dragon, yes, it's Satan, but it represents something that Satan himself promoted and instituted. Paganism and spiritualism. The beast, or the dragon, there we go. The beast power. Catholicism, through the Roman Catholic Church. Revelation 13, who was the first beast power there? Revelation 13, let's turn there then. Revelation 13, verse 1. Revelation 13, verse 1, it says this, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a what? Are we there? A beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. Who is this beast power? The Roman Catholic Church. Very good. Catholicism. It's right there. And the false prophet is ultimately apostate Protestantism. These three means the devil will use to reach the world through his last deception to the world. Through paganism, through spiritualism, through Catholicism, and through apostate Protestantism. This covers every single religion on the face of the earth. Every religion falls into one of the three categories there. The dragon, the beast, or the false prophet. It's working. So, is there a movement <clears throat> in the world, is there a movement that takes elements of all three parties... Elements from the dragon, elements from the beast power, and elements from the false prophet, and puts them all together in one and says, this is truth. Is there a movement on earth that does this? Yes, it's called, my clicker works, the emerging church movement. This movement, I could say without a shadow of a doubt that this is the fulfillment of the three unclean spirits, the emerging church movement. What this does is it takes elements from paganism, from spiritualism, from Catholicism, and Protestantism, combines them all together, and says, here's truth in the postmodern era, the emerging church movement. They take truths and errors from different ages of history, puts them all together, and calls it the, the, emer the emerging church movement. In, in the middle there, in fact, how many of you were here yesterday? For Jonathan Zirkles. Okay, good. So you learned about the esoteric, exoteric circle there. Remember that yesterday? So in the middle there, there's a circle. Around the circle, you see a cross, the uh, Tai Chi thing, the Buddhist wheel, Judaism, etc. All these different religions revolve around the center, which is supposedly God. So God can be the God of Christianity, of Buddhism, of Judaism, of Hinduism, of whatever else, Islam, whatever. Whatever else is there. Ellen White says, Satan has long been preparing for his final effort to deceive the world. The foundation of his work was laid by the assurance given to Eve in Eden. The last work that Satan will do here on earth was laid in Eden. That's a long time ago. <laughs> 6,000 years minimum ago. It was given in Eden. You see, once again, God never changes his tactics. God always uses what? He uses love to win people. 
He never changes. God never uses force. He always uses love to win people. Satan has always used the same deception since Eden. So what did Satan do in the Garden of Eden? Because we must look at this story, this incident, in order to understand how the devil will use this emerging church movement in the last days. What did Satan tell Eve? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. I heard you guys say, ye shall not surely die. And yes, that's true. And most times we as Adventists focus on that. But let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. When you get there, say amen. Are we there? It says this, and the serpent said unto the woman, what? You shall not surely die. That's the first thing. Second thing, verse 5, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open, and ye shall be as what? God's knowing good and evil. That was the second lie. You see, we as Adventists focus on the first lie. Oh, you won't die. So what we do is in our prophecy seminars and all of our things, we teach people that spiritualism is just the fact that people say when you die, your soul lives on forever. That's spiritualism. That's what we do. Not realizing that in verse 5, Satan says, according to that same, that same lie to Eve, he says, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You will become your own God, is what he said. You see, we as Adventists focus on number one. We, we, we preach it to our kids in week of prayers, at home, everything. When number two is creeping into our church very subtly. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know, the, uh, the mindset in the world for children nowadays, because I'm, I am, yes, a, a millennial in the postmodern era, and you see it all over on Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, all these various whatever things. You're your own God, right? Let go, relax, do your own thing. It's all over. Remember yesterday, this great chain of being. This goes back over a thousand years ago. Um, on the left is a traditional one. On the right is actually the more modern great chain of being. And this is what uh, spiritualists use to kind of enter into the, well, in Buddhism it's called nirvana, where you achieve nirvana. Uh, in Christianity, I guess you could enter into the silence. In, um, in other various places, it's called mysticism. So what happens is in this great chain of being, you start on the bottom. According to them, we're all born sinners. So you start on the bottom where hell is, where Baphomet is. And you basically move up the great chain of being until you eventually become God himself or like God himself. The same lie that Satan told Eve in the garden. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You move up this great chain of being. This is where the term emerging comes from. You emerge from the bottom where Baphomet is and move up the chain of being, emerging church. This is where the term emerging comes from. Also called emergent spirituality because the, the emerging church is also found in the various different religions. Like in Judaism, it's called Kabbalah. Spiritualistic Judaism. It's not only in Christianity. It's found all over in different religions. It's simply using mysticism to achieve the emerging spirituality. Okay, so we're told by Ellen White that the alpha of apostasy took place when? 
And by who? Who? Dr. Kellogg, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, not too far from here, about an hour and a half away, Battle Creek, Michigan, not too far from here. And what happened was Dr. Kellogg was saying that God is in you, God is in you, he's also in the nature around you. He was promoting what? Pantheism. If you study actually what Dr. Kellogg was saying, yes, it was elements of pantheism, but more specifically, he was promoting panentheism. That right there. So what's the difference between pantheism and panentheism? Is there a difference? Yeah. All right, well, let's look at it. Pantheism. Oh, sorry, panentheism. It says panent. thank you. It says panentheism, meaning all in God, because pantheism is God in all. This is all in God, is the belief that the divine, I'm sorry, I, I misspelled that, the, the divine interpenetrates every part of the universe and extends timelessly beyond it, whereas unlike pantheism, which holds that the divine and the universe are identical, panentheism remains a, uh, remains a, a, a distinction between the divine and the non-divine and the, and the significance of both, if that makes sense. <laughs> In pantheism, the universe and everything included in it is equal to the divine. But in, I'm sorry, but in panentheism, that's wrong there, sorry. But in panentheism, the universe and the, and the divine are not ontologically equivalent. God is viewed as the soul of the universe. We, you see, in pantheism, God is the universe. In panentheism, God is the soul of the universe, the, the universal spirit present everywhere in everything and everyone at all times. This is what Dr. Kellogg was teaching and promoting. And Ellen White says, this was the alpha of heresy or, or, or the alpha of apostasy. And she says that one day in the Seventh-day Adventist church, the omega of apostasy would come. And she what? She trembled for God's people when she saw what would happen. Why would Sister White, the prophet of God's last day church, tremble for his people? Yeah. Because th this would be so subtle that a bunch of people who are supposedly Seventh-day Adventists, who are a part of this remnant church of God, will be deceived by this movement because Satan's tactics never change. He always uses the same methods, mixing truth with error. Let's just lift up Jesus. What's wrong with that? is what they say. Ellen White says she trembled. She trembled for God's people. Ontology, what was that? It was mentioned in panentheism. What is ontology? Ontology is a philosophical study of the nature of being or becoming, existence or reality, as well as the basic categories of being and their relations. That's what ontology is linked to, panth uh, to panentheism with. Now, no notice it mentioned the basic categories of being. What does that refer to? The basic categories of being. We just saw earlier that in emergent spirituality, the term emergent comes from what? The great chain of being. Ontology says it's the philosophical study of the nature of being or becoming or the emergence and this is one of the definitions of what panentheism is. It's amazing. The great chain of being. 
It says, in some forms of panentheism, the cosmos exists within God, who in turn transcends or pervades or is in the cosmos. Now, by the way, in this emergent movement, you will always hear these guys talk about the universal or the, the cosmos. In fact, they'll talk about this cosmic God or the, or the cosmic Christ. In fact, recently, I'll just give you the area where I saw it. I, I, I won't name you which church or what pastor. But in Southern California, or to be, or to be more specific, no, no, I, I won't be. In, so, in Southern California, there was a sermon series done at a very famous institution at the church there called, called the Cosmic Christ. This term, cosmic, refers to the same thing, and they're, and they're all trained in this whole thing. Notice she sa- uh, it says, in some force of panentheism, sorry, I keep messing up there, the cosmos exists within God, who in turn transcends, pervades, or is in the cosmos. Okay, transcends, what is that? It says, in religion, transcendence refers to, to the aspect of a God's nature and power, which is wholly independent of the material universe beyond all physical laws. This is contrasted with immanence, where a God is said to be fully present and thus accessible to creatures in different ways. In, in religious experience, transcendence is a what? A state of being that has overcome the limitations of physical existence and by some definitions has become independent of it. This is typically manifested in what? In prayer, in seance, meditation, psychedelics, and paranormal visions. This is the definition of what, of what panentheism is. This is how you access mysticism. This is how you access the emerging spirituality through prayers, through seances, through, through, through different types of meditation, through psychedelics, which is drugs, and paranormal visions. Isn't that interesting? And that's why in this emerging church movement, which is heavily panentheistic, which is heavily pantheistic, always talks about using mysticism to achieve the ultimate we or the all, which is pantheism. Write this guy's name down, Brian McLaren, one of the most popular North American, um, yes, North American emergent leaders here in America, Brian McLaren. And notice what he has Oh, and by the way, this guy is very close to heaviness. What I mean is some of our pastors are trained by him. And notice what he says. Uh, this is his website, Q&R on pantheism. He says this. I am thrilled to hear that the emergent theological conversation this year, folks will, will be grappling with process theology and what? And panentheism. In conversation with Philip Clayton, among others, I wish I could be there. When, G- when Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, he's making claims that are political, economic, social, and theological. But I also think he's inviting us to imagine a reality that, that brings God and what? Creation together in one. The kingdom of God unites God and creation. So what they do is is they take panentheism and mix it, intermix it with Christianity, and it's called emergent spirituality or the emerging church movement. Fry McLaren, theology and panentheism. Proof right there that, you know what? If Dr. Kellogg was the alpha of apostasy 
and he and Dr. Kellogg apostatized over pantheism or panentheism, the omega would be the same in a different way. But if Satan comes to the Seventh-day Adventist church and he says, let's all engage in pantheism or let's all engage in panentheism, we'll be like, no, because that happened years ago. So what he does is he takes elements of it and he puts it all together in one called the Emerging Church Movement. And say, let's just lift up the cosmic Christ. And guess what? You end up in the same place where Kellogg was. In his book called A Generous Orthodoxy, he says, it was the exuberant joy of simply seeing these masterpieces of God's creation and knowing myself to be among them. It was to be one of them and to feel and know that we all of these creatures, molecules, and phenomena were together known and loved by God who embraced us into the ultimate we. Very panentheistic. And by the way, with all these emergence, you see all these weird mystical sayings of them. And also they use very, very, very big and, and hyperbolic words so that, so, that, so that you can't un understand what they're saying. A lot of the times, actually most of the times, they do this. So he basically says he's amongst God's creation. He has God in him, and, uh, and it helps him to enter into the ultimate we. By the way, if you go on Google and just type in the all, the all, T-H-E, the all, A-L-L, -L, and look it up, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting how it says the all, also known as the one, is a pantheistic or panentheistic view of God. Look it up. It's there. First hit on Google, the all. A-L-L, -L, the all, yes. This guy here, Leonard Sweet, write him down. He's, uh, by the way, okay, Leonard Sweet is one of the adjunct professors at, at a university called, anyone know? George Fox University. And, and what he teaches there is uh, the demon in semiotics and future studies, or the doctor of ministry program there. Notice what he says. He says, change or be changed. In the old ecology of nature, change was seen as abnormal. In the new ecology of nature, change is life's natural normative state. What works today won't work tomorrow. The wonders is that churches are not, are not in more dis disarray. They are standing pat, or whatever that means, opting to uphold the status quo rather than undergo the upheaval. So what he's saying is all you traditional churches are not right because what you do is you keep the same truth forever. You're not changing along with the culture. You're not changing along with the, with the modernism of the day. He says change or be changed. And then he says... Postmodern culture is, is a change or be changed world. The world is out. I'm sorry, the word is out. Reinvent yourself for the 21st century or die. What, what he's really saying is reinvent your religion for the 21st century or your religion will die. Which is what he teaches people through his doctoral program there, there at George Fox University. There's a book out here called Quantum Spirituality, a Postmodern Apologetic by Dr. Sweet. And uh, this book is very heavily pantheistic and also very postmodern. He says this in that book, page 76, the Christian of tomorrow will be a what? A mystic. 
one who has experienced something or he will be nothing. Mysticism is metaphysics arrived through mind-body experiences. So it's done through all these things that alter your mind and body. Um, mysticism begins in experience. It ends in theology. That is backwards. So, we as Seventh-day Adventists, what we do for truth is we have God's Word here. We open it up. We read it. A thus say the Lord. Our hermeneutic as the as a Seventh-day Adventist movement, is a, is a historical grammatical hermeneutic. What does that mean? We take Scripture for what it says. If it says, keep the Sabbath day holy, it means just that. In the postmodern era, they change hermeneutics from traditional Protestantism into just taking the principles of Scripture. Yeah, it's a good book. But the principles are good, not, not everything in the book. It's called the principle-based approach to Scripture. If you notice, recently our church had the whole issue over women's ordination, right? And, and, and people were saying, if you accept women's ordination, you're basically changing our traditional hermeneutics because in order to accept women's ordination from the Bible, you have to change our, our hermeneutics to a principle-based approach to Scripture, but if you remain as a, as a traditional Seventh-day Adventist historical grammatical hermeneutic, you will end up with traditional Seventh-day Adventism. Whereas postmodernism is all about mysticism and experiencing. But notice he says mysticism begins in experience and it ends in theology. You know, there are things in this movement, like for instance, contemplative prayer. How many of you heard of contemplative prayer before? Okay, what you do is you basically contemplate on certain things. So say, for instance, you open your Bible and you read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. It says this, I'm sorry, Mark 5 verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gardenes. Contemplate a prayer. And they came over unto the other side of the sea. You focus on one phrase or one word, on the side of the sea, side of the sea. Close your eyes, empty your mind, imagine yourself on the side of the sea. And you're walking there with Jesus. You just, you're in the silence now. No one's speaking. You're just silent. And you're meditating on this. You're walking there with Jesus. And you're talking with him. You're, you're having a conversation with him. And he tells you something. That's the mystical part of it. What, what they're saying is, while you do that, whatever he tells you, shapes it ends in theology that's what you build your theology on your mystical experiences guys that's wrong we build our theology upon the word of god amen and by the way seventh-day adventist pastors chaplains for our universities are going to this very same guy at george fox university to be trained by him and they're one of the biggest leaders in our in the Adventist church. He says this, quantum spirituality bonds us to all creation as well as to other members of the human family. New light pastors, is what they call them, new light pastors, or I guess you could say new age pastors, are what Arthur Peacock calls priests of creation, very pantheistic there. Earth ministers who can relate the realm of nature to God, who can help nurture a brother-sister relationship with the living organism called planet earth this entails a radical doctrine of what 
embodiment of God in the very substance of creation. So he calls these guys new light pastors, uh, and they're priests of creation, according to Arthur Peacock. So who was, who was Arthur Peacock? Well, guess what? He was an Anglican and Catholic, which, which is pretty weird because Anglicans broke away from, from, uh, from the Catholic Church. But this guy was an Anglican and Catholic priest. And it says this, Peacock self-identified as a what? As a panentheist. He is perhaps best known for his attempts to argue rigorously that evolution and, and Christianity needs not be as, at odds. He may, he, uh, he may be the most well-known and theological advocate of what? Theistic evolution. What he's saying is that creationism and evolution, they don't have to be challenging each other. Let's just put them together, and hence you have theistic evolution, which is that, yes, you evolve over billions of years, but yes, God is involved, yes, but evolution still takes place. Once again, mixing truth with error. Satan's uh, methods never change. And but by the way, theistic evolution has been taught in our universities, yes. George Fox University. In fact, what's my next slide? Oh, okay, yeah. So Leonard Sweet teaches there at George Fox in his D-Min. It's a doctorate of ministry program. And, um, and he teaches there the D-Min in semiotics and future studies where they uh, learn to explore postmodernism and learn the emerging culture. Now, by the way, are there any people with PhDs here? One guy. Are there anyone with D-Min's here, a doctor of ministry degree here? Okay, so what is the difference between a PhD and a D-min? Yeah, yes, basically that. So a PhD is more like a scholar, I guess you could say. So if you want to be a professor at, at the seminary in, I don't know, say New Testament theology, you would get your PhD and, and then become a professor. It's more of a scholarly term. So you would teach classes on New Testament theology. Whereas a D-min is more of as a pastor in, in the field and you're working already as a pastor in the field, you would then go in and get your doctorate of ministry at, to be a professional pastor is basically what it is. So George Fox offers his program and it's a D-min or a doctor of ministry program and Seventh-day Adventist pastors go there to become professional pastors in emergent theology and then come back and pastor our, our young people in our church. That's a big problem. And his classes aren't, aren't traditional classes like, I don't know, a, a professor lecturing and students listening. It's more of a conversation, I guess you could say, which is, I guess, a good, good in a way, and nothing's wrong with that. But this is what, what the class entails. It says the leadership in, uh, in, sorry, the leadership in emerging culture doctor of ministry program or, or, or the demon tracks explore the character and shape of effective Christian leadership in what, in the emerging culture. The program with Len Sweet prepares an advanced guard of Jesus semioticians. Leaders adept at seeing signs of Jesus' work in the world, these followers of Jesus are not afraid of the future, but are excited about its possibilities and promises while aware of its perils and pitfalls. So what they do is they become professional pastors in emerging culture. 
I don't know about you, but if I want to be a professional pastor and receive a DMN, I want to be a, a professional Seventh-day Adventist pastor, right? Not an emergent pastor. Why would you want to be? Guys, if you really care about the Seventh-day Adventist church, if you really believe that this is indeed God's remnant church, why in the world would you go outside and want to become a professional emergent pastor? What you should do is turn in your credentials and leave the Adventist church because they're affecting young people, your grandchildren, your kids in our colleges and universities, my classmates. I'm 18 years old. My classmates who are at these schools, who are at these universities, and they're receiving training from all these guys. They're being mixed up. These, once again, the emerging church movement is the fulfillment of the three unclean spirits of Revelation. And pastors are being trained to be professional emergents. It makes no sense to me. What I believe is that we, the people, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist church is not a a, uh, dictation system. Our church is built upon a democratic system where the people are in charge. I re- recently, in the Hawaii conference, which is where I'm from, we had a, uh, every five years, you have a conference constituency meeting, right? And what you do is each church elects people to be on the organizing committee, and the organizing committee elects people to be on the nominating committee, and the nominating committee elects pe- pe- people to be on the executive committee, and then that committee runs the conference. It's built upon the people which means your voice has power. And God is calling for his people to stand up against these things. Because if we don't, your grandkids, your kids, your family, your friends will be affected heavily by this stuff. It changes traditional Seventh-day Adventism. Anyway, oh, the One Project. What is this all about? Well, the One Project, it was founded... Some years ago, by uh, five Seventh-day Adventist pastors, uh, and right now there's over there's a bunch of them involved in this. Um, and this one project, their model is simply this: Jesus, period, all, period. And they're saying, Let, let's just lift up Christ in the Adventist Church, and what's wrong with that? And you know, if you go on their website and you go on YouTube and just watch it, just watch their sermons on there from the One Project. I mean, nothing theologically might be wrong with their sermons, per se. I mean, there are some things, yes, absolutely. But majority of the time, nothing theologically may be wrong with the sermons. But what they do is they subtly mock traditional Seventh-day Adventism. They mock it. Now, they don't outright mock and say, I don't believe in it. What they say is, you know, just they'll, they'll make jokes about veggie burgers and that old lady Ellen White, you know, just things like that to mock Seventh-day Adventism. And you know what? I'm fresh out of our schools. Week of prayers, all these things. In the week of prayers, a bunch of these speakers come through and they'll give you jokes about various things about being Adventist, haystacks and all, the, you know, just all those jokes. Those Adventist jokes. And what that does is it conditions the kids' minds to look at some of the Adventism as a joke. That's what it does. And, and when they do see Ellen White's writings, when they do see vegetarian, vegan food, oh, it's just a joke. 
I'm a postmodern, I'm an emergent. They don't say that, but that's the way they think. It's a postmodern environment. It's a postmodern culture. It's the culture. Their religion changes with culture. So the One Project. So four, no, four of the five founders of the One Project have received their doctorate degrees or the demon program from, guess who? Dr. Leonard Sweet. And we saw earlier that Dr. Leonard Sweet was a big-time promoter and believer in what? Pantheism. And also, he says, let's engage in mysticism, and mysticism will shape your theology. That's the same guy who trains these guys, the founders of the one project. It's pretty sad. How many of you heard of uh, Big Face Grace before? It's a, well, not too much. So Big Face Grace, it's a rock band. It's a Christian rock band. Or actually, more specifically, it's a Seventh-day Adventist rock band. And guess what? All the players in the rock band are Seventh-day Adventist pastors. (laughs) Um... There's some guys in there who are leaders or pastors or chaplains at one of our largest institutions, La Sierra, PUC, um, La Melinda, Andrews. Anyway, so it's called Big Face Grace. Oh, I, I guess it could say Big Face Disgrace, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, we're all familiar with that quote from Sister White where she says, um, the Lord has shown me what would take place just before the close of probation. Every uncouth thing will be what? Demonstrated. There will be shouting with drums and music and dancing. The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make right decisions. And this is called the moving of, of the Holy Spirit. Then she says, the Holy Spirit never reveals itself in such methods. In a bedlam of noise, she says, a bedlam of noise shocks the senses and perverts that which, if conducted aright, might be a blessing. And then she says, in the very next sentence, the powers of satanic agencies blend with the din and noise to create a carnival. I don't know about you, but this is very serious. Because to, to some people, they'll say, oh, you know, it's, it's just for the kids. Don't worry about it. I don't know about you, but either Ellen White's a prophet or she's not. Either it's all inspired or it's not. Either that statement is inspired or it's not. Is she a prophet? Absolutely. So what she said, is that right? Absolutely. The powers of satanic agencies blend with the din and noise. What that means is while this is taking place in God's house, while this is being given to young people in a worship service, it means God's spirit is not there is what it means. She said the powers of satanic agencies, demons are there. This is very serious stuff. And I think, I don't know about you, but I don't have kids yet. But if my kids were to be in a room like this, I would want to pull them out. I would not want my kid or my grandkids to be around demonic forces. And this is what's taking place. So you as parents, you as grandparents, you as aunts and uncles ought to speak up against it. Amen? Oh, by the way, can you play this video? Actually, let me see. Uh, This is a little sample of the video. Let me see if it works if I do this. Can you hear that?
That's good enough, I guess. Okay, how do you stop this? Um, so those, uh, those members of the rock band, Big Face Grace, are some of the founders of the One Project. So, is it dangerous or not? Absolutely. We saw proof. These guys have been mentored. And you know what? This is not conspiracy theory. We're not these crazy fanatical Adventists who are trying to cause problems in the church. This is a problem in the church. We're not, we're not crazy, fanatical, ecstatic Adventists. We are Seventh-day Adventists. That's not Seventh-day Adventists. So we should take our church back. Take God's church back. And you know what? Once again, it's not done by force or authority. You don't go to people and start yelling and screaming at them, trying to change things. Ellen White says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. He mingled with them, became their friends. I know that's hard. Isn't it hard to, be, to befriend an enemy? It's kind of hard. But that's what Christ did. He befriended sinners. And by doing that, he won their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. So we as Adventists, true success is done by Christ's method alone. Befriend them. Win their confidence. Show Jesus to them because they want to lift up Christ. Show them Christ. The right Christ. And then bid them follow Jesus. The right Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. Not a mystical Jesus. Amen? How many of you are in Pathfinders? How many of you are, have been raised in Pathfinders? Okay, I was kind of a little bit. I wasn't raised Adventist, but when I became Adventist, I was a Pathfinder. How many of you are master guides? I am. <laughs> okay. How many of you went to the Camporee, I think, two years ago in Wisconsin, Oshkosh? Okay. How many of you re remember the main speaker every night for this meeting? His name was Sam Lenore. Okay. Now, this is very important because if you don't know, he's one of the founders of the One Project who have been trained by Dr. Len Sweet in panentheism, pantheism, mysticism. And yes, they don't outright do this on stage. They don't outright teach you to practice mysticism. But at the One Project, what they do is they'll give you books to take home. They'll give you books to read by Brian McLaren, by Leonard Sweet, by Rob Bell, by all the Henry Now, and all these mystical emergent dudes is what they do. They give you books. So it's very subtle. Like Ellen White says, these things will be subtle. She trembled for God's people because if we saw it as outright plain pantheism, it wouldn't work. Which is why Sister White trembled for the people because it's very deceptive and many will be lured into this movement. So, main speaker for this event, Sam Lenore. One project founder and a member of that rock band. Bass guitar player, to be, to be specific. Okay, this is going to work. Oh, how many of you, first of all, let me ask you. How many of you are thankful for ministries like Amazing Facts, that is written, Voice of Prophecy? Amen? You know, um, <clears throat> most of our converts to our churches are done by these ministries, you know, through, uh, I mean, I think, I guess Doug Baxter would be the most famous pastor in some of the ad in our church right now in 2016 i guess you, you I, I would say 20 years ago it was mark finley 
But now, wherever you go, everyone knows Doug Basher. All these ministries, people love them. And a, a bunch of these ministries make Bible study guides, right? Which we use to assist in bringing souls to Christ. Praise God for that. Now, the North American Division made Bible study guides for people called the I Follow Program. And what it is, is it trains people to, to be disciples for Christ. And this is the iFollow program, sponsored by the NAD. Now, the iFollow program has resources in there, and it quotes, guess who? Leonard Sweet, Brian McLaren, all these guys. iFollow program. <clears throat> by the way, for more info, for more uh, elaboration on these subjects afterwards, get the book Tremble, Meet It, and Omega Rebellion. Get those books. And also the, um, the, the DVD, Omega uh, Omega Emerging. Very good stuff. <clears throat> anyway, so that's that. So it, it quotes these guys, McLaren, Sweet, um, who else? Uh, Richard Foster, all these guys who are emergent leaders, <clears throat> who are uh, participators in, <clears throat> excuse me, mysticism. So that's that, the, the I, I Follow program. This is who? Leonard Sweet. Guess where he is in this picture? He is at Union College. That organ in the back might ring some bells for some people. And this was their, their, their website, Union College. Leonard Sweet to speak for Power Pack Weekend. World, uh, it says on here, uh, um, below his picture, world-renowned Christian author Leonard Sweet will speak at Union College September 12th to the 14th. This was uh, probably, uh, is the, in fact, this was in 2013, so about uh, three years ago. But nonetheless, he spoke... A, at our universities. There's, I mean, just, just go on uh, YouTube and type Le Leonard Sweet, Loma Linda. He's there too. Once again, this, these are pantheistic, panentheistic, emergent guys. And I wonder why they only go to our young people. I wonder why. They're most susceptible. Their brains are like sponges. I wonder why. The, yeah. Why don't they speak for the Michigan camp meeting? <laughs> because we all know better, right? But young people don't know better. They ought to know better, which is why Ellen White says the most important role on the face of the earth is the role of the mother. That's the most she says it's higher than a minister in his desk. That's a high role. A mother ought to train their kids in the fear of the Lord. Amen. So that when things like this happen in college, they'll know, hey, this is not right. This is wrong. This is what Dr. Sweet says in his book, Quantum Spirituality. He says, quantum spirituality bonds us to all creation as well as to other members of the human family. New light pastors are what Arthur Peacock calls priests of creation, earth ministers who, who can relate the realm of nature to God, who can help nurture a brother-sister relationship with the living organism called planet Earth. We saw this quote earlier. This entails a radical doctrine of embodiment of God in the very substance of creation. Guess what? That's pantheism. Why is he speaking to our kids at a Seventh-day Adventist college? Ellen White said the alpha of apostasy in the Adventist church was by Dr. Kellogg over pantheism. 
And yet there are self-proclaimed pantheists who we allow to come into our colleges, into our, our, our schools and universities. Why? Ellen White trembled for our people. Okay, so now this gives all of us a mission, right? Speak up. Brian McLaren says this, we need to restore contemplation to know God. We need to bring back the contemplative practices of spiritual formation and social justice. It's been amazing for me in my travels to meet so many pastors and other leaders for whom spiritual direction has become an important part of their spiritual lives. I think we need a growing corpse and core of trained people who, uh, for whom spiritual direction is a primary vocation. What's a primary vocation? A full-time job? Spiritual direction. Also, he says, we should restore contemplation to know God. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter, uh, John chapter 17 and look at verse 3. We're just there earlier, but let's look at it again. John 17, verse 3. Are we there? Almost. Okay, John 17, verse 3. I want everybody to see this. Uh, verse 3 says this. This is Christ speaking. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is Christ speaking. He says, guys, this is salvation. This is life eternal, that you know God, know his character of love. Because love is what changes you. Christ's method alone will, will give true success in, in reaching the souls. This is the Isaiah 58 message, which we'll talk more about this afternoon at 3.30. But Brian McLaren says we should restore contemplation. And, and when he says contemplation, he's talking about contemplative forms of prayer. Like centering prayer, contemplative prayer, uh, prayer circles, all, all those mystical practices in order to know God, which is the same thing that uh, uh, Dr. Sweet said when he says mysticism will shape your theology. Because, okay, all these, all these exercises, co contemplative prayer, centering prayer, Lectio Divina, all these different spiritual disciplines are, are offered to you in order to enter into the silence. Now, once you're in the silence, it's silent. You're meditating. And supposedly, God is to speak to you there. Once you empty your mind of all thought and expression, you enter in, into the silence, into a hypnotic state, and a force is to speak to you, or God, supposedly, is to speak to you there. When God says that, that he speaks through his word, study to show yourself approved. If, if you want to know who God is, look in his word. Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm who he is. Don't enter into this mystical silence to learn who he is. I am who he is. Look at his life. Look at his ministry. That's why Ellen White says we should spend an, uh, an hour each day, what? Contemplating on the life of Christ. Letting our imagination grasp each thought, especially the what? The closing scenes. Because that's where love was lifted up. Love lifted me, right? These people teach mysticism to know God. When it, if, if you want to know who God is, Jesus showed us who the Father really is. God of love. Spiritual direction. So what does he mean by that in spiritual direction? 
he also says, one other thing I want to do for you, if you're going through a low tide of faith, I want to encourage you to step up to a new level of Christian thinking by investigating some new authors and speakers. The fact that your faith is struggling means that you need some new teachers. Philip Yancey, Leo Tolstoy, Fyodor, just, well, I can't say that, Walker, Walker Percy, and Thomas Merton. What he's saying is that if your faith is low, if you're feeling depressed, if you're not really feeling spiritual right now, don't go to Jesus. Don't go to God's Word. Go to Philip Yancey. Go to Leo Tolstoy. Go to Fyodor, whoever that is. Go to Walker Percy and Thomas Merton. Do you know who Thomas Merton is? Catholic monk. Catholic monk that was one of the proponents of this spiritual formation thing. Contemplative prayer, all these things. And that's who we're supposedly to go to if we're struggling in our faith. That's the last place you go to if you're struggling in your faith. But yet we somehow go to these guys to learn how to be professional pastors in the Adventist church. It's backwards. Now, this, is, now this comes from Brian McLaren's book, The Great or- Orthodoxy, in his uh, postmodern book. And there he says this. The great chain of being seeks to capture this emergence Imagine the numbers on the previous diagram, which I showed you earlier with the, with the great chain of being, uh, representing these realities. Number one, space and time. On the bottom, remember? from On the bottom where hell is, you move up the emerging spirituality. Number one, space and time. The primal uh, creation in which everything emerges. This is where the term emerging comes from. Number two, in inanimate manner. The domain of physics and chemistry in space and time. Number three, microbiotic and plant life. The domain of microbiology and botany, which embraces domains one and two and then adds life. With, uh, number four, animal life. The domain of zoology, which comprises domains one through three and adds increasing levels of, of sentience and, and intelligence. Number five, human life. The domain of anthropology and psychology and art and ethics, which, com- uh, which comprises domains one through four and adds an increasing levels of conscience and culture. Number six, and then ultimately spiritual life. The domain of the awareness of God. So after you get through all those things, you then enter into the highest chain of being, uh, spiritual life. The domain of awareness of God access through theology and spirituality and mysticism, which encompasses domains one through five and adds the experience of, of the sacred and the conscious relationship with God. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's evolution. It's called theistic evolution. And this is, what the, this, is, this is where emerging comes from. You emerge, you evolve, which is why Arthur Peacock, we saw earlier, says creation and evolution have no odds with each other. Okay, so, so number six. In order to achieve spiritual life or the awareness of God, it's accessed through theology. Okay, that's good. Spirituality. Yeah, I guess, I guess that, that could be good. Depends on how you look at it. And mysticism, that's bad which encompasses domains one through five. This is messed up. This is, this is not true. I mean, this is just utterly false. Through mis- you, you don't go to mysticism to, to, to achieve the awareness of God. You look at God's word. He promised in his word that wherever two or three are gathered like this, he is here in the midst of us. The awareness of God. He's here with us. Amen? We don't need mysticism to, to tell us that. So, what are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual, uh, spiritual disciplines 
in the emerging culture, this emergent movement, you have things like contemplative prayer, which, which, which I showed you earlier. You focus on one word or phrase and contemplate on it until you enter into the silence where God or something is supposedly to speak to you there. Uh, breath prayers are another thing. Um, and by the way, one of the, uh, the previous presidents and professors at one of our universities wrote a book called Hunger, and there he promotes to practice breath prayers. Rick Warren. How many of you know of Rick Warren? He's a, he's a, yeah, he's a, a, a Sunday pastor, Saddleback Church. He, uh, he wrote the book, um, The Purpose Driven Life in Church. Remember that book? It was going all, all over. Pretty popular book, bestseller, sold in Walmarts, Costco's, all over. He says, use breath prayers throughout the day as many Christians have done for centuries. Not Christians, spiritualists have done for centuries. You choose a brief sentence or a simple phrase that can be repeated to Jesus in one breath. So you simply breathe in a phrase and breathe out a phrase over and over and over again until you enter into the silence. All these disciplines help you to achieve the silence or the awareness of God is what they call it. Lectio Divina. By the way, we have a proof. It's not that good proof. I mean, it's, it's, it's proof, but it's not high-quality proof But because the audio is messed up and stuff. But there's still proof of one of the founders of the One Project and the rock band who's teaching these two our young people near our, one, of our, one of our universities. Lectio Divina. This is where you... It's, uh, it's called scripture readings or... Bible readings are kind of scripture prayers where you, where you read a scripture and then once again you focus on one word and you go over and over and over on that same word until you eventually knock your mind out and enter in, into the silence. Prayer labyrinths, where you walk the prayer labyrinth, it's pretty, it's very heavily spiritualistic. In fact, you'll find these things in all these movies like Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings, all these mystical spiritualistic movies. You find prayer labyrinths or, or labyrinth pictures all over. And some Seventh-day Adventist churches actually put up a prayer labyrinth and have their members walk the labyrinth and pray on the labyrinth. The practicing of God's presence. Oh, this is very important. There's a book out there. Now, this is, this is one of the spiritual disciplines where you practice the presence of God. There's a book out there. I'm going to have to fast forward here called Jesus Calling. How many of you heard of that book before? Jesus Calling? Guess what? This book is built upon a book called God Calling. In fact, the author, Sarah Young, tells us, my journey began with a devotional book called God Calling, written in the 1930s by two women who practiced waiting in God's presence, writing the, the messages they received as they listened. About a year after I started reading this book, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God, so I decided to listen to God with my pen in hand, writing down whatever I heard him saying. You know what that's called? It's called automatic writing, where you simply, you enter the silence, have your pen in your hand, whatever it tells me to do, I'll write it down. That's what this book is built upon. It's automatic writing. It's mysticism. And guess what? They're sold in Adventist bookstores. Do ABCs carry Jesus Calling? There were 39 ABCs surveyed in the North American division. 17 do carry it. 16 don't carry it, praise God. And 6 carry it in the past, but no longer. This book is, is written through spiritualism. It's written by automatic writing and practicing God's presence. And by the way, she based her, her, her devotional 
on a book called God Calling by two anonymous New Age writers in England. I wonder why they were anonymous. Satan is enraged with God's church. And, and as we close now, let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for the privilege it is to be called a Seventh-day Adventist, Lord. And as we're here in camp meeting, I, I pray for your blessings upon us, Lord. And I pray for this presentation, Lord, that it may have reached people, Lord, to see the truth, Lord, and that you are the ultimate truth, Lord. And that we must stand up against the powers that be, Lord, against error. Lord, thank you once again for all that you do. Bless us now as we dismiss in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.